always like to give a summary when we're halfway through any series, and we're exactly halfway through the series we're doing for Advent this year. Um, we have four weeks. We've done two weeks, two weeks to go, including today, where we're looking at the Jesus that's recorded in the four Gospels, the one who we celebrate that was born in the manger, right? We're celebrating that Jesus according to each Gospel, one Gospel account a week. So we've looked at Matthew, Mark, and now today we're going to look at Luke, and then we'll look at John next week for our series. And in Matthew, we discovered that although all the Gospels have a lot of the same events and a lot of the same teaching goes on in all four Gospels, each one brings a unique aspect to their writing, to their biography. Matthew's point was to show that Jesus was indeed the fulfilled promise of all the Old Testament prophecies, and he was the Messiah. Mark revealed to us, last week we talked about the servant heart of Jesus, to serve all humankind, eventually becoming the suffering servant on the cross. Luke, who we're going to look at today, um, his point is to show that this Jesus who left heaven was born in a manger that we celebrate the birth of and that we're still waiting for in the second coming is not just a savior, but is the only savior for all mankind. He tries to expand on Matthew's point, who's showing he's the promise of Israel and saying, not just for Israel, guys, it's for all people of all time. So we want to talk about that this morning. So he wants to understand, he wants us to understand, Luke does, that Christ's work on earth, his teaching on earth, his death on the cross, his resurrection, which the Bible calls the first fruits of all who believe, that we will be resurrected to if we believe in him, is for every single person that ever lived on this earth. Now, we know a little bit about Luke. We don't know a lot about Luke, but we know a little bit about Luke. We know he was a physician, he was a doctor. He's called by that title. In Colossians 4, verse 14. We also know, at least on a couple of the missionary journeys that Paul took, he was a companion of Paul. Paul mentions him in the book of Philemon as well as 2 Timothy. Um, he was not one of the original disciples. I think some people have the wrong impression that the four Gospels were written by one of the 12, all four of the original disciples, and that's not true. Only two of them were, Matthew and John, were original disciples. Mark and Luke came to Christ later. And he wrote his gospel around 85 or 90 A.D. So these events had transpired sometime before, and he's writing them down in a collection so they can be preserved for history. You might not realize that Luke is the author of two books in the New Testament. He wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And it's real easy to find that out when you look at the introductions to both books. So I want to do that now for you um, so you can see how it's the same author in both of these two books. In Luke, I read to you just the first four verses that if you open to the book of Luke, here's what you would read. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning where eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So he's writing this to a man named Theophilus. Now the word Theophilus actually means lover of God, Theo God, 
um, Phyllis from phileo, which means to love. So it's lover of God. That's a great name, and it could mean an individual he's writing to. Some scholars think that he's just writing to the church. He's writing to people who would be, as a group, called lovers of God. Um, most agree that he's writing to an individual person, though. And that's the beginning of Luke. Now let me read just the first two verses that start the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Then he goes on in a very long prologue here to say, and in the second book, I want to follow that up, right? But I don't want to take time to read that. But obviously, Luke is also the author of this book, which he also writes to Theophilus. Now, I mentioned he was a companion of Paul on missionary journeys, at least one of them, possibly two of them. And Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles, right? Or the apostles to the world. Because the gospel started among Jewish people, for Jewish people. Peter was the apostle, known as the apostle to the Jews. And Paul began to stretch limits and find out that this gospel is for everyone. And he's had fantastic results among the Gentiles. And Luke was with him and he experienced all that. And it certainly affected him when he saw these churches popping up and people who are of different faith than the Jewish people who are coming to Christ in the same way. He realized this gospel is for everyone. And so as he writes down the recollections of the stories, events, and teachings of Jesus, he's conscious to emphasize the ones that Jesus brought that says, I'm for everyone. And let me show you a couple examples of that. First, uh, Luke is only one of two authors in the New Testament to give us a genealogy of Jesus, right? The first one is Matthew, and in Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Abraham. But in Luke, the only other genealogy, he goes past Abraham all the way back to Adam. He shows Jesus' line all the way back to the first human who was ever created. Why the difference? Well, because Matthew's point, remember, was to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies to Israel. And so he's concerned of showing how Jesus is related to Israel all the way back to Abraham, the father of Israel. Whereas Luke is interested in saying he is for Israel, but he's for everyone. And so he goes way past Abraham and before Israel and shows that Jesus is connected to the very first person who ever lived. Now, also, even before Jesus begins his ministry, it's after the birth of Jesus. It's recorded in chapter, Luke, uh, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 32 the people, uh, the Mary and Joseph, the parents of uh, Jesus, take him to the temple to be blessed, which was a tradition at that time. And when they do, they meet an old prophet there named Simeon. And Simeon says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, of all peoples. This is being said in the Jewish temple a light of revelation to the Gentiles and, your, and the glory to your people Israel. So even before Jesus knows what's going on in life, right? He's still just a baby. We have these two pieces that Luke has given us as introductory material just to say, always remember Jesus is for everybody, for all time. 
I think Luke takes special effort to show Jesus' attitude or heart toward those outside of Israel as well. In Luke chapter 10, we have the story of Jesus talking with a Jewish scribe or a Jewish lawyer, okay? And the lawyer asks him a question, which is basically, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law that Moses gave us? And most of you probably know the answer. Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul. And a second is unto it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that story is not just in Luke. It's in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. But only Luke follows it up with Jesus telling a parable to illustrate what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, which certainly would strike the ears of the Jewish people and the lawyer who is talking with him very oddly that he's using those enemies to the north, the hated Samaritans, right, as an example of someone who's actually following the law of God, one of the greatest two commandments by helping his enemy, a Jew, who has been beaten up and left by the wayside of the road. Only Luke gives us a story. Later on, Luke also tells us that when Jesus was headed toward Jerusalem, um, he was making a long trip, and instead of going around Samaria, he goes through Samaria. But while going through Samaria, he wanted to stop, and so he sent his disciples ahead to prepare a place. But they were not received warmly. I think the Samaritans thought, oh, Jesus, this Messiah person, he's coming to us. But Jesus was just passing through Jerusalem, and so they said, well, if that's all you want to do, then just go through. We don't want you. And so the disciples came back and reported that to Jesus, and James and John, two of his disciples, look at Jesus and say, do you want us to call fire from heaven and burn up all these people because they've offended you so badly? And Jesus rebukes them sharply for such an attitude. Now, why in the world would Luke tell that story if it's not to let us know that Jesus' heart from the beginning, even though the, eventually the disciples would get there, they're not there yet, but from the beginning, Jesus' heart was always for not just the Jewish people, but for the entire world. Only one other gospel, actually, only one other book in the Bible, actually, in the New Testament, talks about the Samaritans as being part of God's plan of salvation. All the stories are in Luke, except for one, which is found in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman by the well. But it's always Luke who keeps pointing of Jesus' special heart for the Samaritans, not only in the Gospel of Luke, but also in the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, when he writes Acts 1.8, Jesus is going to leave and go back to heaven and says, hey, wait until power has come upon you in receiving the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. And Luke makes sure the specific direction of the witnesses, of where they should go, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I think that Luke tries to let us know that even to the Romans, who were hated by the Jews, Jesus has a more open attitude. You find the gospel story of the crucifixion, of course, in all four gospels, and the gospels always include the same things about the Jewish people in the trial before Pilate, and Pilate finds no fault in him, but eventually, because of pressure, it's the Jews who want him killed, so he releases him to be killed and washes his hands of all guilt. They all have that story, right? But then, 
when Jesus is crucified, Luke also adds the point that when he died, and Jesus actually died, and there was thunder and lightning, and the, and the skies were all dark, and the, and the curtain in the temple was rent in two, that it was a Roman centurion who said, surely this was the Son of God, that even the Roman got it at that point. Now, that's just the Romans and the Samaritans, but I think generally you can see that whole world outlook of Luke throughout his gospel. Um, Luke shows us his compassion for all nations. Chapter 15 of Luke. Um, are the, the, you find the parables of the lost things. It's the parable of the lost sheep. There's, there's 99 that are safe, but Jesus leaves them to go for the one. And you have the parable of the lost coin where he goes, you have to tear the house apart in order to um, find that coin. It's so important. And there's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son where the father is waiting patiently and still acceptantly when uh, the son comes back to him. And all of it points to this loving, compassionate, open heart, not just to the Jewish people, but to the entire world. And then toward the end of the gospel, when Jesus was talking about his death in Luke, he says this. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Yes, it's going to be in Jerusalem, but it's going to go out to all nations. I think a good summary of the book of Luke is about Jesus, that it would be this. The world is filled with lost people. Jesus loves them all. And his name, the only name by which humankind can be saved, will be proclaimed to all the world for all time. All the world for all time. You can't help but understand that more closely and see the real heart of God that he sent his son to die for all people with, when you read the book of Luke. Now, that's a little bit about the uniqueness that he brings to his story of Jesus. But at each point, when we've looked at Matthew and Mark, and now when we look at Luke, we say, okay, so what difference does that make now? We're celebrating Christmas, Right? And we want to celebrate Christmas. We want to be joyful and we want to have a great time. We want to remember the gift of all times that Jesus gave to us and that he gave up heaven to be born in that manger. But remember, the original Advent was about also remembering the second coming of Christ, which is still to come, right? It's still to be. And it's all about living in the in-between of the two comings of Jesus. So how would Luke make my living in the in-between different and unique? And I would say, ask yourself three questions. Ask yourself three questions. In preface for the first one, let me tell you a little bit more about a portion of Luke. Luke chapter 9 to 19, 11 chapters, is sometimes called the travel narrative. Because in those 11 chapters, Jesus is on one trip. He's left Galilee, and he's moving his way down to Jerusalem. So he's on the same trip for the all 11 chapters. Now, tons of things happen in those 11 chapters. You have some of the most important and memorable parables that happened during that time. That's when he talks about the Good Samaritan, which we already talked about. That's when he talks about the rich fool 
who thought he had, his life was set and he had all this grain and he built new barns, but he died that day and was not able to enjoy it all. That's where it's the parable of the great banquet, that in the final days, people will be called to the banquet. And if they don't come, then the, then the owner of the banquet will go and look for the outskirts and the down and out, whoever will come to that banquet. That's when you have the parable of the prodigal son. That's when you have the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus not being the one who died, it was Jesus' friends, but the poor man, it's a parable, and the rich man never took care of him, but then they both had to answer for their deeds in the afterlife, and the rich man ends up in hell, and, the, and Lazarus ends up in heaven. That's where you have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went into the temple to pray, and Jesus surprisingly said, it's the tax collector who was heard by God because he was so transparent and honest and simply just asked for forgiveness. So you have these incredible parables. You also have some incredible stories that only happen in Luke during this time. You have when Jesus is visiting the house of Mary and Martha. You remember that story? And he's there, and Martha, and they're preparing a meal. Martha's working like crazy, and Mary's singing his, at his feet. And there's a lesson involved in that. That's when you find the event, not the parable, but a real event, where 10 people who had leprosy came to Jesus for healing, and he said, you'll be healed now as you go and present yourself to the temple. And they were, but only one comes back who's not Jewish to come and thank him for what he did. That's where you have the story of Zacchaeus, the outcast, right? The one who nobody wanted to have any association with because he was collecting taxes for the Romans. But Jesus goes and eats in his house, and this man comes to the Lord, right? And these are all stories. In fact, this whole section is sometimes called, just these 11 chapters, is called the Gospel of the Outcast because it's all about the ones on the fringe that come. All the stories, all the parables, all the events seem to focus on that. So in this Advent season, are we thinking only about ourselves? And the question we should ask ourselves is, is this gospel for the outcast? Is this gospel for the outcast? And if it is, who's going to tell them? Who's going to bring it to the outcast? Who's going to take the news to those who need desperately to hear it? You know, this time of year, I think we're all inundated by a bunch of mail from people we've never heard of before because we get these letters and they explain their situation or their organization or the church or whatever, and they're asking for money because this is a season of giving, right? It used to be right around Christmas. Then it was the whole month of December. Now it starts in Thanksgiving, right? And then you have Giving Tuesday, and, and we're guilty of it too. You know, we're out at church saying, hey, this is a giving time. Remember us as the year closes, right? Give to the church. But we get tons of mail from organizations asking to help out. Good organizations. Well, I just say that because there's a family in their church that was talking to me one year, um, a couple of years ago, and said, you know, they get these every year and they toss them out in the garbage. Then one year they decided to save their money up just for this time. And when this time came, every single request they got, they made a donation to because they had saved all year long so they had the finances to do it. There is a family that gets it. Not just about them, it's about others. I heard on my way in, driving in to work this week, I heard a challenge about counting the days till Christmas, you know, 
until December 25th. And the challenge was each day when you count one more day closer to Christmas, why not think of someone or some organization or some project that needs your help financially or with your time or whatever that needs your help? I thought that was a great challenge, especially as we get the idea that Jesus is for the world. Why not do that? Why not decide as a family or as a single adult or wherever you are, okay? Some person, some project, some organization that you want to support with your time or your money or both during this time of year. You know, we have at least one small group and the young adult group who go to Trenton and put in time helping serve an organization called Street Church Ministries led by a guy who loves the Lord named Tony Palumbo, okay? And we support this as a church. We support them every month financially, but we have two groups at least that go. In fact, today, the young adults are doing it. The young adults, a group of them are going down there. Those main event, main purpose is to help the homeless, is to reach out to the homeless. This is a whole ministry that has a church for them, reaches out to them, tries to meet needs, in any way that they can. There's people who really get, is this gospel for the outcasts? And if it is, who's going to take it to them? Second question we should ask ourselves, living in, it, in between as we celebrate the birth and we look toward the coming of Jesus, right? The second question we should ask kind of focuses on another unique story, unique story that's only in Luke. It's Luke chapter 18. It's a parable it's a parable told by Jesus. It's usually called the parable of the persistent widow. A widow has a problem. It's a legal problem. So she goes to a judge for him to fix it, and he has no interest, right? I don't know why he doesn't have an interest. Probably she's not paying any money, not bribing him or whatever she's doing wrong. He refuses to listen to her. She goes back. 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 And finally, the judge says, you know, I could care less about this woman, right? But just to get her off my back, I'm going to decide in her favor. And he does. And Jesus summarizes that with these words. Listen to these words. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? In other words, Jesus is saying, God, the Father is better than this judge. Of course he'll answer you, but it's those who are crying out to him day and night that he's going to answer. Think about that. This woman was crying out for justice, finally got it from a rotten judge. What if we cry out for justice for those who need it? And the question more generally, I think you could ask yourself, is this. Do you pray for God's work persistently? Do you pray for God's work persistently? We have at least two groups that I know of in our church that just meet to pray for the work of PAC persistently. One started at the beginning of COVID, and they're still meeting every Saturday morning, and they pray. My wife is part of that group, and they pray for the work of the church. The second is a women's group that meets during the week, and they pray, and they look for requests from the church, and they pray sincerely for the work 
of Princeton Alliance Church. Missionaries, we support five different countries and people working in those countries. They need our support. Financially, they need our support. They need our encouragement. But they really need our prayers. Are you praying for our missionaries persistently? We have an e- we have a email letter of prayer requests that we sent, can send out to you monthly to keep you on focus if you ask us to do that. 12 o'clock noon, every Tuesday, I get on a Zoom. Well, sometimes I miss, but very infrequently do I miss. Every Tuesday at noon, I try to be free, so I get on a Zoom call that has people Zooming in from all over the world, and we pray for 30 minutes for a specific people group who needs to hear the gospel. This is a desperate people group that need to hear the gospel. Nobody talks about friends and how things are going. No time is wasted. We get on at 12, we pray to 1230, and then we all click off and get busy with our other things. But we pray persistently every Tuesday for this. Do you guys have a group? Do you have a group that you're praying with? Maybe you should make one, right? Or even individually, how persistently do you pray for the work of God. I said there were three questions, so there's one more question. And the third question you need to ask yourself to live in between the two comings of Jesus correctly, right, really deals with the basic overall theme of Luke. What's his, what's his theme? Hopefully you got his theme. I pounded it over and over again. Jesus is for the whole world, right? Jesus is for the whole world. He's for everybody. He came for everybody. He died for everybody. He rose for everybody in every country, in every language, in every tongue, in every nation, in every generation. He's for everybody. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, is that the Jesus you know? Do you know this Jesus? That regardless of where you're from and what you've done, he's for you? That he died for you? That he can forgive you? That he can promise you a resurrection? That he can promise you a relationship that's eternal with the Father? Do you know that, Jesus? Because you may be tuning in online or sitting here in person right now, and you're not sure. Maybe this is just a thing to do, you know? You do good things, you go to church, you put some money in the offering, whatever. It's good things because you're thinking, you know, that's the way. You know, there's this Christian life that you live And you've sinned some, but you're way more good stuff than your bad stuff, right? But that's not how it works. Jesus wouldn't have to die if he just let good people into heaven and they still had their sin with them, right? He didn't have to die for sins because he never sinned. The problem is God is perfect. Heaven is perfect. He can't allow imperfection in there. And we're all imperfect because we all have sin. And we don't get over that by piling on the good works, right? We only get into that if this black mark of sin is removed from our life. And that's the one thing we can't do. It's done. It's done for good. We can't go back and undo it. But Jesus can. He died so that he can take that sin away. He died for that black mark. But you have to realize that and tell him. You have to say, oh, I confess I've been trying to do it on my own with all this good stuff. And I repent of that and believe that you died. It's your work that takes this out. And then put your faith in that work alone. Do you know that Jesus? Because if you don't, that's the biggest decision you need to make. 
you need to make it here today, you can fill out a connect card where it says, I decide to follow Jesus and give it to me afterwards. Leave it at the Welcome Center or just come up here front afterwards. I'll be down. Others will be praying and let us know that's the decision you want to make. If you're online, then go to princelions.org hub because there you can get the same connect card. Just click on connect card and check that box. I've decided to follow Jesus today, but give us your information so we can contact you as well, so we can walk this road together. That's how you live differently in this Advent season if you understand the Jesus that Luke really got to know. First of all, you be compassionate to the marginalized. Secondly, you become a person of prayer, not just asking for yourself, but interceding for others. And thirdly, you confess, believe, and receive this Jesus who loved you enough to die for you. I want to pray for us, but then I want to worship. I want us to worship together and let the, let the Lord work in your life for whatever he's told you this morning. Make the decision. Move further into his lane. Stay together with him as we go through this Advent season. Father, thank you. Thank you for Luke. We don't know when he came to know the Lord, Father, but he did. You worked in his life to bring him to yourself. And what a world he has changed. He's given us the book of Luke and he's given us the book of Acts. We praise you, Father, for what we have because of one person who came to know you. So you want to work in our hearts now as we worship, as we sing. Perhaps you want to stir in our heart to compassion that maybe we've lacked. Maybe we haven't let you have that part of our life totally for those who are hurting in the outcast. Maybe it's a push to becoming a bigger person of prayer who's on our knees before you in a more persistent way. Maybe it's that first decision that we need to make of giving you everything and having you come into our lives as Lord and following you from this point on. But we pray that you would do your work by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.